Hey, good morning, everyone, and welcome. Hello, hello, good morning. Why don't you guys stand with us? We're going to sing in just a moment. Those of you in the lobby, if you're not in here yet, come on in, come on in. We just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge, isn't it amazing that we have a place we can go to every single week and freely worship our God and our Lord and Savior? Is that not amazing? I feel like that's something that we should be pretty excited about, right? Can we say hallelujah because of that? That's amazing. You know, and it doesn't matter the kind of week that we've had or how we're feeling in the moment. God wants us to come to him exactly as we are and to just pour out our worship. So let's do that this morning, okay? God has done great things. Well, good morning. My name is Josh Rodriguez, and I'm going to be leading us today in communion. My wife and I have been here at uh, Life Community Church for uh, just over a year. We've been able to um, be thankful for many things that uh, we've been a part of and seen already. I get to serve with the staff. Uh, Kelly and I work together and serve with a hospitality and greeting team and been able to join together with uh, one of the small groups on Thursday nights. And being here has been a blessing for us. In the past year, there are a number of things that we can think of that we are thankful for. And I would imagine in a room this size that if we had an opportunity to share, we would have many reasons in a wide range of circumstances where we could say that this is what we are thankful for. Thankful for the relationships that we have. Thankful for what God has done in our families, in our jobs, and in our lives. And not just in the good things, but also in times of great difficulty. That we have learned how God is faithful and seen how he has been faithful. That how he's provided strength when we are tired and weary. And how he can, how he is a rock and a firm foundation for us, even in life's greatest challenges. And so Paul would say this, he'd sum it up like this, so rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. And so communion is one of the ways that we remember and we give thanks. Monthly, we take time in the service, not only to give thanks, but to pause, to reflect, and think of those great things that God has done. And this is what he has done. Paul would say it like this in Romans, that at just the right time, when we were still powerless, that Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, somebody might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus would go to great lengths to demonstrate his love for us. That how sin has separated, how it breaks relationships, not only with the Father, but with others. That Jesus would come to this earth. He would live the life that we couldn't live. That he would pay a debt that he did not owe. And willingly, he would go to the cross and lay down his life for our life a perfect sacrifice on our behalf. And so in communion, we take these tangible items, these symbols of the bread and the juice to remind us that Jesus' body was broken for us, that his blood was spilled on our behalf. And it's a practice for followers of Jesus this is not the means to our salvation. Communion is an act of obedience, and it's an opportunity for us to remember what he has done when he provides that salvation for us. So since communion is just for followers of Jesus, we leave it up to you to decide for you and your family if you wanna join and participate with us today. So I'm gonna give us a moment that 
you can come down and there's tables there with the bread and the juice. And as you would grab them, go ahead and bring them back up to your seat and take some time to pause and reflect and to remember the great things that God has done. And after we've held them together, then I'm gonna lead us that way we take those emblems, the bread and the juice, we'll do that all together. Okay. So why don't you go ahead to those tables and grab them. It says this in the gospels. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Let's eat the bread together. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's drink this together. God, we give you thanks for the great things that you have done that you are doing and that you will do around us, in us, and through this. We thank you for your amazing grace and your great grace. And so we'll continue to sing about that grace. Everybody except for the kids can have a seat. It's been so good being with you so far. Kids, you are dismissed to Kids Life. All right. Good morning. I mean, it's so good to hear people singing and just hear our voices together as one. What an amazing, amazing thing to happen. We're so glad you're here. If you're new, I'm Dan. I'm the lead pastor here at Life Community, and this is... Oh, I'm Lee, the communications director. <clears throat> and on the screen, you'll see, if you guys can put it up, there's a um, QR code there. Is that what it's called? Yes. QR code. Okay. Not Sorry. URL code. Okay, I did QR say that code. earlier. Oh, gosh, that's a whole other story. That's age showing. Um, anyway, uh, we want to walk with you. So if you, this is a link to the Connect card just to get to know you. So um, if you're, whether you're at home or here, uh, go ahead and you can get your camera out and nobody will look at you funny and, and fill out the contact card, card for us. So we're excited to get to know you. Um, when you came in, you received some papers, right? And some, oh. Again? The block map again? How many times? And there's a reason for it, right? There definitely is. Yeah. yeah. I was thinking this morning on the way in, I counted there are nine things that I'm very passionate about. And one of them happens to be what God put on our heart a while ago about loving our neighbors, our literal neighbors who are outside our doors, whether you're in a dorm, an apartment, we all have neighbors. And just like we sang, it, it hit me that we sang, I'm yours forever. And there's something about bringing that love that God has to us, to our neighbors who are made in God's image, and they can be his forever. That's why we do this block map. And so if this block map is new to you, let me explain it. The first step in Getting to know your neighbors with the purpose of loving your neighbors, loving other image bearers, is getting to know their name. Sounds simple, could be awkward. You could have lived next to them for 10, 15 years and not know their name. Um, so if this is new to you, think about who's living around you, again, in your dorm, your apartment, your neighborhood, your street, and write out as many names as you know. For those of you who went, oh no, not this again, I have a different thing that we're gonna talk about today. So you filled out this block map before. Now this morning, let's zero in on one particular square. So what I want you guys to do is think about the neighbors around you. Is there one relationship, 
one person, one family, a kid, someone that God is moving in that relationship. You've gotten to know their name. You're getting to know them a little deeper. Now look, take some time and you can journal if you want on the paper, but think about that, identify that relationship. Think about how God is maybe prompting you to go deeper with them, to love them a little deeper. And again, the whole goal in this is God loves us, we love his people, and we want his people to know him as well. So we'll give you some time to think about that one person or that one family. And then we're going to talk about winter because how do you neighbor in the winter? Right? God does not work in the wintertime. No, he doesn't. So how are we supposed to reach out to our neighbors? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) We're done. No. (laughs) I will say, so this is a running joke between among my family is whenever someone drives by on our street, and I'm out, I always wave to them, you know, trying to be that friendly neighbor. I would say eight times out of the 10, no one sees me. And so I'm just standing there like Forrest Gump, <laughs> waving, but I'm, I'm keeping at it because my hope is that someday, some of those neighbors who keep a little more to themselves, maybe see me waving and maybe they'll wave back. So it can start small. I kind of got an eerie story about that. It's, okay. it's kind of like, we had somebody, I had somebody pull up when I was outside. This was in the last maybe year and a half, two years ago. And pull up outside and they rolled down the window. I had no idea who these people were, all right? And they, they said to me, man, it has been so cool to watch your family grow up through the years in this neighborhood and your kids grow. And we've seen them grow all along the way. And I'm like, I don't even know who you are. <laughs> and that's just a reminder to me, people are watching in You're- our neighborhoods. They know What's going on? Except for me, I was obviously. like, well, your neighbors are <laughs> Other watching. Other than me, everyone else is watching. <laughs> but uh, there's, yeah, a wave makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. It definitely does. And, and ways to start small, especially in the winter. Just if you need ideas, um, bring in someone's mail if they're out of town. You see the trash cans out at the end of the street instead of going, oh, my gosh, can they just bring in their cans? Just <laughs> wheel them up to the garage door for them. If we get snow, anyone have a snow blower here? You can come to my house, Mark. <laughs> no, go, I mean, bring your shovel out. Bring the kids out if you have kids. Bring, you know, pair up with other neighbors. Go mm-hmm. shovel some driveways. Yeah. And Lee, you've been at this a long time, so you've actually formed some serious relationships with neighbors. What are some of the things you do at this time of year for those who've developed more of a relationship? Sure. Uh, um, let me think. Can you guys help me? We're... We are doing a weekly game night Mm -hmm. with neighbors on one side. Tonight we're bringing the chili and playing games or hanging out. And then I was talking to another neighbor who, this might be a crazy idea for some of you, but we started walking at 5.45 in the morning at the beginning of January. So that's us. But this neighbor, we've had amazing conversations with, and even this week, she was sharing a book she was reading, secular book about how we each carry a light that should be shared to other people. She's like, I, sh- I wanna be that light. I was like, I can help you. And so <laughs> pray for us, as pray for me as we keep that conversation going. But we talked about swapping puzzles on our street, because, we started puzzles at home and I don't want to go to the thrift store once a week and get five puzzles that add up in our closet. So we talked about doing kind of like a rotating yeah. pass along a game or a puzzle with all the neighbors on yeah. the street. Yeah. Trade games. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of things, uh, a lot of opportunities available. And again, the block map comes up. We bring it up again also because we want to be prompted, right? We, this is not just a one-time thing we did back in the fall that we're done with, and we don't want, glad that's over, I don't want to think about my neighbors again. No, God wants us to be intentional and to be taking steps, so we just encourage you to do that. Um, a couple announcements as well. First of all, <clears throat> this Saturday, there's a new um, class starting called Renew. It's, uh, it's a class that's going to focus in on God and the Bible. It's a six-session study. It takes place over three months, so there's six meetings over three months. Um, it's not every week. Um, it starts January 21st, which is next week, and you can sign up. Um, I've been told, sign up today if you can, because it's getting close, so that would really be helpful. That's next Saturday. Um, then on Sunday, February 5th, we have baby dedication here in the service. 
Um, I believe next Sunday is an orientation meeting. And then baptisms, we have February 26th. So if you've not been baptized and you just want to find out more about that, um, you can either you can get online and sign up on mylcc.info. Um, and then February 5th and 12th, we'll also be having an info meeting after the service to find out more about that. All right. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. So the Tom's up. Oh, there he is. He's hiding. There he is. Hey, good morning. I am going to start up here, but if this makes you uncomfortable, I'll be down there soon enough. Um, yeah, my name is Tom. I'm a teaching pastor here at Life Community Church, and we've been talking about our core values, okay? But to, to talk about that today, I want to talk about something, some strange things that we do with our food, okay? And I've tried to put these into categories and give you an example. I don't want to spend all morning on this, but one of the strange things that people do with food is they put weird combinations together, Okay? They put weird combinations together. That is um, a, a peanut butter pickle, and it looks like it's sriracha sandwich. Okay? Now, some of you hear, hear that, and you're like, oh, tasty. Maybe. I don't know, but I think that, that's odd, right? There's just no way around it. That's odd. Okay? So, so some people have put weird combinations of things together. Some people just put things where they don't belong. Okay? There is a whole thread online of people who put ice cubes in their cereal. Ice cubes in their cereal, okay? Um, I didn't want to linger too long on that thread because I, didn't, I really don't want to understand the person who does this, actually. But it does happen. I don't think it's a bunch of bots. I think these are real people arguing for the wisdom of ice cubes and cereal. Um, another thing that, that, um, that people do is they just eat it the wrong way, okay? Now, this I witnessed in person. I, didn't, I wasn't bold enough to take a picture. I did have to find an internet uh, uh, image of this. But... Um, Anybody see someone eat, eat a hot dog from the top down? Okay. I know we have all kinds of debates about hot dog and, you know, is it a sandwich or not. And, and actually, honestly, there's actually like a debate, a regional debate about whether or not you should hold the hot dog upright with the toppings or turn it like that. I didn't know that was a thing until I started looking at this. But um, I actually saw someone doing this um, at the Costco. Um, <laughs> I feel like if you've had your fifth birthday, this should never happen. Um, <laughs> but... It, it, apparently, that is how some people eat hot dogs. Um, th there, is a, there is a real um, phobia with this. I'm going to say this, and you can look it up. It is a brumotactylophobia, which is those of you who will not let your foods touch. It's like a real fear of your foods touching. Um, I think that needs explored with a professional counselor. Um, I am a food mixer. I'm thinking about everything that goes on my plate and how, what can I put together. And in fact, so much so that like one of my favorite foods is like the stew, right? I love the stew because it's all the ingredients. They come together to form a new thing. You get a little of everything in every bite. But for those of you who, you know, like this is your thing, you may be freaking out about that or, you know, lasagna or whatever it is that you just can't handle because it's too mixed together. The Lord still loves you, okay? But I think, that, I think that stew in and of itself is like a good analogy for something that we're going to talk about here. That I want to illustrate with, with these core values. As a church, um, there's, there's many things that we do value. Okay? There's many things that we do value. Um, but, but these seven things that you see represented here are, are things that, that we say, like, we're just going to put our energy into these things. We're going we're gonna to push through these things to try and, and bring people into growing relationships with Jesus. And, 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 and so we, we focus on these things. And we're in a series talking about a couple of these things. I believe they're right in front of me. Grace-focused and personally authentic. That, that we believe that, that, that it is, it is, we are called to be people of grace and people who, who live authentically. And so we have, um, we're in this series talking about those two things. Okay? We're talking about those two things. But we oftentimes, with these core values, we separate them out and we leave them kind of, you know, separated as if they're like a discrete idea that stands alone. But, but, but unlike, you know, the, the plate of food where they stand alone, these things are like a stew, okay? Which is to say, rather than sitting them side by side and looking at them individually, they probably function and operate a bit more like this, Okay? Where every time we're, we're talking about being grace-focused, we're talking about being grace-focused because grace is God's, the means by which God changes the world. And so when we reach out to people, we're doing it in the grace of God. 
okay? And, and we believe that we're, we're grace-focused because we believe that the Scriptures teach us that's the way to be, that, that, that the grace of God is, is the thing that changes the world. The Bible teaches at the center of God's revelation. And so when we think about our core values and we focus on certain ones of them, it's easy for us to keep those in separate categories. But in reality, they're, they're all just kind of like one big idea of how we live life together in our church, in our community. And so, again, we are, we are going to be talking about what it means to be grace-focused and what it means to be personally authentic, right? But with that, please keep in mind that these things are, are not just individual categories, right? Together they form a picture of what life with Christ looks like. And, and last week, Dan defined these things for us when we started this series, where he said that, that biblical authenticity is living true to what God says about you, and in light of that, being honest with yourself and others about your current spiritual condition. That authenticity isn't, it's a buzzword sort of culturally to be authentic, be true to yourself, okay? And, and we don't necessarily, like, to be true to yourself may be shorthand for some of this, but, but we feel like it's important that we do differentiate from sort of the worldly idea of true to yourself. What we're saying that authenticity is, it's, it's, that, it's that we are honest. We're just simply honest with ourselves and with those around us about our current spiritual condition. What, where are we struggling when it comes to, to knowing and loving and being with God? Right? Where are those places and being honest in those spaces? But also... We're, we're talking about the, the relationship of authenticity and grace. And grace is simply undeserved, unmerited favor, or unearned favor. Like, we've done nothing to earn grace. It's just given to us. It's, it's, it's something good that's credited to us. Someone has come along, and they've just put seven figures in our account. Okay? We, didn't, we didn't work for it. It was just dropped on us. Okay? And that's, the, that's where we find ourselves in this life, in this world, is that 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 God's grace has been given to us, but that also impacts the way we live with one another. And so we, as we move through this, Dan, also last week, just to recap before we, we look at a new passage this morning, okay, that this authenticity grace cycle gets created, that, that as I'm able to be honest with who I am, that, that around me people give me grace even in my, my frailty, in my, in, in my deficiencies, they give me grace. And, and the more they give me grace, the more I can be authentic, the more emboldened I am to be honest about where I am. But, but the more honest that we are, the more grace abounds. You follow? And that which breeds more authenticity. It's this cycle. But we talked about what happens like when grace, when we stop giving one another grace, it, people stop being authentic, right? We, we stop being authentic because we're afraid of the judgment that other people are going to put on us. And so we just sort of back off. We're afraid, so we, we, we stop being honest. And what winds up happening, what winds up happening is that in a, in, in a, in a church or in a, in a Christian community where authentic, authenticity and grace are gone, we wind up with, with these conditions that, that would lead us to say, like, that's a place of image and pretense, shame, self-righteousness. It's a works-based community. It's restless. It's fake. Without grace and authenticity, these are, this is what what Christian community, like, defaults to, the ways of the world. But when they're present, we could say that it's Christ-centered, that it's real, it's, it, it attracts and transforms, that the word family comes along, like, that, that we, we really, we love one another as family. There's peace and there's rest. That, so grace and authenticity work together in this interplay where one just feeds off the other. And a snowball effect can be created. We want to be a place. We want to be a place where grace and authenticity abound. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today that illustrates this again. Last week we were in Luke 18. We're going to go forward or backward, I guess, a few chapters to Luke 15. If you have your Bible and want to turn to Luke 15 with us, as always, we, we will put it on the screen for you. But, but if you've got your Bible and you want to follow along in Luke 15, and we're going to look at a very familiar passage for many of us who've been around church. And even if we haven't been around church, I think we use this, the phrases that come out of this on a regular basis. This is commonly, we're going to look at Luke 15, starting in verse 11. This is commonly known as the, the story of the prodigal son. 
the story of the prodigal son. But this story occurs in a section of, of Luke's gospel where Jesus is confronting sort of the, the religiosity of, of the Pharisees of the day. And they're standing, um, they're standing kind of outside of, of what's going on, and they're watching, and they're judging, and they're, 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 they haven't quite plotted to kill him yet, but they're getting there. And, and so he's, he's challenging their way of thinking. And, in, in, um, and, and, and their way of thinking said that you, you just essentially have to work your way to God's favor. You have to work your way to God's favor. And so in Luke chapter 15 contains three stories about things that are lost. Things that are lost. And it starts with, with a shepherd who loses a sheep, and it's, it's one out of 100. Okay, one out of 100 sheep. And, and the shepherd goes and finds it, and, and, and when the, that sheep is located, they celebrate. There's a big celebration when what is lost has been found. And then there's a woman who has 10 coins, and she loses one of the 10 coins. So it goes from 100 lost sheep to 10 lost coins. And she turns the house upside down to find that coin. And she finds it, and she tells everyone, and they celebrate with her. Okay? And then it comes to, those are, those are rather short stories. And then it comes to where we are here in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And so let's read this and talk through this, this section together. Luke chapter 15, it says this, And he, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. There were all kinds of laws that they had around, around um, oldest sons and who got inheritance. And so this younger son says, I'd like my share now. Okay, I'd like my share now. Um, it must have been common enough that, uh, that it did happen from time to time that sons in this culture would ask for their inheritance ahead of time because there's other literature in ancient uh, Judaism that, that warns against doing this, what this father does and giving it away. There's other places that, that actually predate this, this telling of the story of Jesus that, where it warns fathers about, about doing this very thing. Um, but, but uh, you know, it, it, it was a... For a son to take that inheritance early, it's obviously it's impatient, and, and there's all kinds of things that come along with it. But it also would have brought shame on the family. It would have been a sign that the son didn't trust the family, um, that, that the son was, was um, severing his, his, uh, his ties with the family. And it's quite possible that by ta- pulling out any level of, of, of um, wealth from the family, it could have caused the family financial ruin. When you talk about that kind of culture and the need to continue for animals to breed and for animals to be able to provide what the animals provided, it's possible that for, one, for a son to take that out of the family, it could have led that family down a path of financial ruin. We, today, we just call it having kids, period, today. So, um, but, but this son asks for, you know, asks for it ahead of time, okay? So, so keep reading with us. Ver, verse uh, 13 says this. It says, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. We'll hear more about the reckless living later, but at this point in time, reckless, it's just like thoughtless, right? Like, like spending his money on things that, that didn't give a return back. Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. And of course it did, right? Like this is what happens. Keep reading with me. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. Okay, now remember, this is a Jewish context. This is a Jewish context this is being, being written into. So, so this son goes off into a far country, a place where there might have been Jews that had been dispersed around the world living there, but this son goes out into there into what would be considered Gentile lands, okay, non-Jewish lands. And so he's, he's in a place that is at sort of outside the, the, the bubble of his, his, his birth, outside of the, the culture of his birth. And we learn something right here in verse 15, a couple things about what's happened with him. He goes to that country, he spends the money recklessly, and that in of itself is one thing. But then in, in verse 15, when it says that he goes to one of the citizens of that land, he went to a Gentile, okay, someone outside. Now he's outside his religious culture, too. And, and he sent him out to feed pigs. Pigs or swine were unclean. They, the Jews were supposed to have no contact with them, okay? And so the symbol here, and anyone listening to this in that day would have said, well, okay, he did something that might have shamed his family. He went off into a far country, and he spent foolishly, but he still had his faith until we get to verse 15. This would have been a signal to them that he had left his faith, okay? That he was no longer, he no longer considered himself to even be a spiritual child of his family. Understand? Okay? So, again, this is his freshman and sophomore years of college. Verse 16, and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything, okay? No one gave him anything. 
So there's this, this idea continues in here in verse 16. You see, there's, there's some incredible context to this. The foreign invaders that had come into Israel over the, over the years, different ones as they had come in, one of the practices that they would try to do is that they would really strongly try to, to bring, like, like living with, like, like, like eating, eating the swine, eating the pigs, they would try to incorporate that as a way to sort of like mute the religious fervor of the Jews. Okay? So this happened as the Greeks conquered and the Romans conquered. They tried to, they tried to get the, the Jews to start eating pigs because it, it, signaled, it signaled that they were, they were done with the, the religious heritage of their faith. Okay? They were done with the religious heritage of their faith. But look what, where he winds up. He's, he's left the religious heritage. He's left his faith. He's with the pigs. And he, he's just, he's so starved in that environment that he, he does, he's not, I'm not even with the pigs. I just want the, 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 the leftovers that are given to the pigs. Just give me that to eat. But even in that state, Notice, outside the, the, the heritage of his family, outside the protection of the religious structure of his family and the land that he lived in, no one cares a thing about him. He's on his own. Okay? Keep reading. Verse 17. And it says this, important words, but when he came to himself, right? But when he came to himself, he came to himself, he woke up, he snapped out of it. He saw things as they really were. Before anything, we go on with the rest of the story. Before we see anything else, what the younger son realized when he was with the pigs, when he's just hoping that he could eat even what the pigs are eating, first, he had to be honest with himself about his spiritual condition. He had to be personally authentic about his condition. He realized it. He came to his senses. You follow? You with me? Okay, let's keep going. So he came to himself and he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? This is, this is kind of an, an odd thing um, because, um, because, because the hired servants were actually lower than the slaves in the culture. Okay? The slaves belonged to the house, like they lived in the house. In many cases, we think about slavery and we bring all kinds of st- cultural stuff to it. In their setting, the slaves were sort of, sort of, they belonged to the household. The owner of the home, the owner of the house was responsible for the well-being of the slaves. The hired servants, no, they weren't part of the house. They were on the outside. The hired servants didn't know if they had work or food tomorrow. The slaves knew that the owner of the house was, was supposed to take care of them. Okay? This guy says, the, the hired servants have more than enough bread. The people who work in my dad's house just day to day, they don't belong to the house, they're not part of the family at all, they have more than enough, and I'm perishing. I'm going to rise and go to my father and say to him, I've sinned against you and before you. So catch this, his, his, he recognizes, he comes to himself, he recognizes his condition. This is authenticity. His misery was real. He accepted his responsibility in it. He acknowledged the broken relationship with the father. You catch this? This is, this is part of the process. He remembered what he had. There's a remembering and then a, a movement, a repenting. There's remorse that leads to action. He feels certain things and he doesn't leave it there. He, change, he, he, he initiates change. So look at what he says in verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, I'm going to say to my father, treat me as one of your hired servants. Remember, he's saying, I don't expect my father to even welcome me back into the house as a servant. I'm, gonna, I'm, willing, to just, I'm willing to just go there as a, as a, a hired, a, a daily worker. Okay? Keep reading. Verse 20, and he arose. And he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Notice the order of events here. The son shows up and the father comes out to meet him before the son. Remember the son had a rehearsed speech? Before he can even get the first word out, the father comes out and embraces him and kisses him, welcomes him. There's other options, right? Like there's other things the father could have done. And some of them are clear, right? Like the father could have just 
flat out rejected him, ignored him. You're no longer my son. That's a possibility. It would have been lawful under, under their, their law, it would have been lawful for him to have the son executed. He could have had the son executed. Okay? He could have put the son on probation, right? Okay, well, we're going to see how this goes. Start as a hired servant. Maybe we'll make you a servant slave in the house. Then from there, we're going to work our way up till maybe, you know, I don't know. We let you watch, a, a, you know, a sheep or two. Okay? But the father treats the, the recent past with the son, however long this period of time had been, treats it as no matter. So he, he felt compassion. He ran, embraced him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, now the son begins his apology, right? Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then a big but in the first word of verse 22. He, you remember there was more to it. That, that was the first part of what the son had rehearsed. And then he was going to say, please take me in as a hired servant. But the father said, the father cuts him off. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Notice like before the son can even get in there and do his negotiating, can get in there and even like pitch his idea, the father cuts him off and says, says you're, you're my son. You're my son. What an amazing story, right? What an amazing story of Jesus that, that gives us an idea of our place with him. That he's, he's given us this life and everything in it. We've essentially, metaphorically, figuratively, we've gone off into a foreign land and we've squandered it on reckless living. And every time we come back to him, before we can even get our negotiation, okay, I'll never do it again, he stops us and embraces us welcomes us back what an amazing story and that is what it's like with god that's his grace but it doesn't end there right because we know there, the story tells us up front there were two sons so read along with me verse 25 verse 25 now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house he heard some music and dancing and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant and he, the servant, said to him, your brother is, has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, right? The older brother sees what's going on and he doesn't like it, right? Makes sense. He doesn't like it. He's going to tell us why. Look what it says. He answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And another big but, but when this son of yours, oh, that's loaded, right? Husbands and wives, do you ever do this? That son of yours. That son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. Notice, it doesn't say anything about sexuality earlier on, the the the. Older brother fills that in for us. Okay? This son of yours came who's devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fatted calf for him. And here's what I want to say about the older brother. Doggone it. He was right. Isn't he? He's right. His brother, his younger brother had wasted everything, brought shame on the family. He was only back because he'd run out of money. If the money had lasted, do you think the brother comes back? Uh, the story doesn't tell us, but it's a safe bet to say probably not. He probably doesn't wake up to his condition. And, and if I'm reading myself into the story of the other brother, here's what ticks me off the most. You didn't even consult with me before you did this. You didn't even loop me in. By the way, if you've given, if you've given my, bro my younger brother his inheritance already, that means the fatted calf that you're feeding him is mine. I'm not, I'm not putting up with that. Doggone it. This is justified rage. And, I, it, and if he'd gone into a court of law, I think a decent solicitor would have given him a good case, and he probably wins. Right? He's right. 
this is not fair. This isn't the way that the world's supposed to work. And the father says this. He said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to, be celebrate, to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Notice what the father does here. Look, it's good. You know what's better than having one son? Having no, no, not having no sons. I'm sorry. <laughs> having two sons. Okay? Having two sons. I've, I never lost you. But I did lose your brother. And notice what he does too. The brother is saying, your son, your son, your son. And the father says, yeah, you got your brother back too, by the way. Like your brother is home. It's not just my son that's home, it's your brother. You lost a brother and he's back. You're worried about your reputation and inheritance, but what about him? What's best for him? What's good for him? The story ends with the brother on the, the, the older brother on the outside still. You catch that? He, he, comes, he comes back. He doesn't go into the house. The father has to go out to him, the, which the father does. He indulges this. And it doesn't tell us what, where the older brother goes from there. But it leaves him on the outside of the house. He's unwilling to accept the father's grace for the lost brother. And if the story had stopped with the father's welcoming of the younger son, it would have been amazing on its own. But it's also about the older brother and, and, and the invitation that God gives the older brother to join the father in this work of grace for the brother. You see, the story of the lost son or or commonly the prodigal son, is an amazing story of God's grace for us. What he does for us in bringing us home, bringing us back to himself, lavishing his riches on us when we don't deserve any of it. But it's also a story about what we do with the, with the other younger brothers in our life, those around us. And it's going to cost if we're to do it. It was going to cost the older brother some pride, some inheritance. But grace comes at a price. It comes at a, it's come at the greatest price for God. The Father and the Son and the Spirit suffered on our behalf. But this is the way of the Father, that, that we're outraged by the offer of grace. Because it, it's not fair, it's not right, it doesn't make sense. This isn't the way the world works, God, don't you understand? And the parable would seem to, see, seem to say that if, if we maintain our position as the older brother on the outside of the house, that we're not going to go in, we're not going to enter into a relationship, that we haven't really understood the grace of the Father at all. That we could stay on the outside of the house. That's a, that's a choice we get. The righteous amongst us. The ones who've never done it the wrong way. The ones who are better than the youngers. Who haven't wasted our lives on reckless spending. We can stay on the outside of the house. But that's not where the grace of God is found. It's in. We're invited in with him. And so, again, last week, Dan put these things together as God's truth. And I'm, I'm gonna, I just want to take this opportunity to add a little bit to what was shared last week to say, like, there's, there's this, we're taking steps towards these things. So perhaps we can wrap it up this way. that In God's truth, we need to recognize that, that we're deficient. I am deficient. That's part of the authenticity journey. I don't have everything that I need. I am deficient. I'm lacking right? But so is everyone else. They don't have what they need to do it right either. And so everyone else's failings, everyone else, when, when, when they fail, I, 
I ought to be giving them the same grace I want when I fail. Because I'm deficient. We're all deficient. <laughs> um, it says this in, in Romans chapter 5. Josh read part of this earlier when we were taking the bread and the cup. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Like, death is, sin is spread everywhere. So I don't, I have no justification to stand up and say, like, hey, you're give, God, you're giving them my fatted calf. No, 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 none of us deserve it. None of us deserve it. The second truth here is that, that I, like, I'm in need, my deficiency means I'm in need, right? Like, that's, but, but also, like, no, none of us can go it alone. I'm in need. I need the grace of others, but others also need my grace, grace from me, right? They need grace from me. Look at what, uh, we're in need because, like, sin breeds death. But God's gift is life in Christ. Right? His gift is life. So we, we can't get to him without the gift. We've got to keep moving here. Look, so I need this sacrifice. So Jesus intervened. Like, this is what happened. Because we needed the gift, Jesus intervened on our behalf. And this is directly out of something that Josh read for us earlier in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. God showed his love for us. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Notice, like, the time thing gets hairy, right? Because, because in our order of events, I came to a place where I did the right thing, and then Jesus took care of me. In God's order of events, he took care of us a long way back. When we were at our worst, well before we asked for any help, well before we even came to our senses and realized we were in the, the, the slop with the pigs, he'd already died for us. It was already done. It was taken care of. You with me? So finally, I'm loved in my mess. and We can love like Jesus, right? I'm loved in my mess, and we can love just like Jesus. Because all those things that, that we just looked at in Romans, that like, like God's made a way for us. Look at how Paul, one of the things he says at the very end of the book of Romans, one of the last couple chapters. He says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. In order to bring praise to God. How, how is God praised? What brings praise to God? It brings praise to God when, when we accept, and that word accept is, is it's a neighbor, some translations use different words there, but it's welcome, like, it's, it's to embrace, it's to bring others in, like, accept one another as Christ, how did Christ accept me? When I was at my worst. When I was at my worst. When I'd done everything that I could to distance myself from him. When I had squandered all the good things that he'd given me. On reckless spending. When anyone could rightly say, point their finger at me and say, he wasted everything you gave him, God, on prostitutes. That would have been true about me. He wasted it. Blew it on things that don't matter. Things that, in the end, harm me. Things that ruin my life. I don't deserve God's grace. No one does. No one does. But Paul says to us, accept, welcome, bring others in the same way that you were brought in by Jesus. See, in the story we're, of, the, of the two brothers, we're all both brothers in the story. We're not one or the other. We're all both. The younger recognizes his need for God's grace. He comes to his senses. The older needs to offer God's grace. The story didn't stop with the father welcoming the younger son. It went on to explain that the, the, the older son, the older brother, needed to offer God's grace. We enter into this by confessing that this is who I truly am, authentically a sinner. I'm a, I'm a son in need of a father's compassion. And then when we see ourselves as we really are, 
we can look at those around us and understand that my, my brothers and sisters around me need that same offer. And God's inviting me to be the agent of that offer in their lives. And here at Life Community Church, we want to be grace-focused and personally authentic because they're at the core of who God is. It's what he's called us to. Will you pray with me? God, we, um, we come to you and, and confess and acknowledge that, um, that we need you. We need your, your grace, and we, we thank you for the offer of your grace. And um, God, we ask that uh, we ask that that you continue to show us how we how we live that grace, how we we welcome others as you've welcomed us, accepting them as you've accepted us. Embracing them as you've embraced us, God, we, um, we know that on our own we can't do it, but we don't want to stand on the outside of the house as you celebrate the lost coming to know you. Would you help us to see your hand of grace in, in um, all the, the work around us? Would you, would you show us what it means to be honest with our lives and with those around us? And God, we... Um, we thank you. We thank you for making this way, um, this way to you that, um, that, that we can't accomplish on our own. And we pray all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. God, we want that to be our prayer this morning. As we leave this place, that we focus less on ourselves, God, and more on the fact that while we were still sinning, while we are still sinners, you have died for us. Help us to extend that same grace to others. God, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I don't even want to give closing announcements. I just want to sit in that song for just a second longer. So good just to be together this morning. Thank you for joining us just to speak the name of Jesus together, to worship together, to take communion together. So, so good. I do want to just remind us, I love that analogy, Tom, on the stew and um, all the things we had listed up here. And um, they all work together, right? All our core values. So this Sunday, or no, this next Saturday, this God in the Bible class begins. And so when you think of us being personally authentic and grace-focused, we're also biblically, unapologetically biblical. And so um, it is for anyone around here who says, I'm at the age I could learn to drive and up. So if you are a new believer and you go, I just really want to understand the Bible a little better, how it fits together, this is for you. If you go, I know the Bible really well, but I would love to know to articulate it better or just be reminded of those things, it's for you. It is for anybody around here who just would like to be part of it. Six weeks, but not consecutive, mylcc.info, Please sign up today if you are planning on it. Have a great day.